live from a dark desert highway. Sadly, no cool wind in my hair, and actually not in the desert either. Uh, this would be from Fresno, California. This is Tom with the Gribble Nation Roadcast. And point of emphasis being today the Mojave Desert. Uh, so recently in the blog series, we, or me specifically, has been hitting on a lot of Mojave Desert-related road and highway topics. Uh, so that is what I'm going to discuss today. Um... So yeah, let's get right into it. So the Mojave Desert region, uh, basically this is a moderate elevation desert, uh, kind of in the range of 3,000 to 6,000 feet typically. Uh, some of the mountains are obviously higher. Uh, where the main indicator species is the Joshua tree. So this is a region you will find in Southern California, uh, Southern Nevada, uh, Southwestern Utah, and Western Arizona. It's kind of bounded by the Great Basin Desert, the Colorado Plateau, the Sonoran Desert, and the Sierra Nevada Mountains. So there you go. If you ever were wondering what the Mojave Desert is, there you go. So primarily the first topic that I want to talk about because I think it would interest the road community quite a bit is the development of Interstate 40 within the Mojave Desert region of California. And if you've ever driven this stretch of freeway, uh, suffice to say it is not really the most intriguing roadway out there. Uh, but it does have an interesting history and backstory. Um, Interstate 40 within California between uh, the Arizona State Line and Barstow was the corridor that was inherited from US Route 66 and before that the National Old Trails Road. So um, it, it, it's quite notable. It, it, like Pretty much there's a lot of people that have a connection to it. How the corridor was established, um, it was the successor to the Mojave Road, which I will hit on later. Um, when the Atlantic and Pacific Railroad was developed in the Mojave Desert during the late 19th century. So, like, all the little towns that you would find on US-66 and the National Old Trails Road, uh, they were sightings of the Atlantic and Pacific Railroad. Um, so, pretty much the National Old Trails Road followed the frontage roads between these sightings, uh, and that was developed into US-66. Um, during the development of the interstates, uh, the state of California did try to petition the AAS, sorry, AASHO uh, to renumber it to I-30. And the reason for that was is California was seeking to ultimately stave off uh, what was the 1964 California State Highway Renumbering. Um, California legislatively defined their... Re well, in 1964, they redefined all their state highways to match what they were assigned in the field, and they did not allow legislative route duplication. So, like, I-40, they wanted to be I-30. Uh, I-80, they wanted to be I-76, and this has been in an effort to retain things like US-40, um, not sure why US-40 was so important, but um, probably more so with things like US-99, um, some of the other ones. Um, it really seems like that was kind of their last-ditch attempt to avoid that renumbering, and it, it was rejected along with the other proposals. I-40 compared to the corridor of I-15 from Barstow to the Nevada state line obviously was not the priority uh, even back in the 1960s. Uh, Las Vegas was an emerging boom town in metropolitan areas, so there was a lot more traffic headed in that direction, which led to I-15 being completed between Barstow and the state line by 1965. 
Uh, I-40, for the most part, uh, was a little bit of a slower draw. Uh, it was developed in the 60s, a lot of it, but mostly coming in the flatter terrain from Barstow east to Ludlow and Ash Hill, uh, and from the Arizona state line westward from Needles, kind of towards uh, the siding of Essex. Uh, where I-40 gets to a big difference uh, in terms of alignment is in the Bristol Mountains. Um, the Atlantic and Pacific Railroad, uh, US 66 and the National Old Trails Road swung south to avoid the Bristol Mountains if you're heading westbound uh, via Cadiz Summit and Ash Hill. So, um, in the 1960s, the Atomic Energy Commission uh, was looking for projects that could put nuclear hydrogen devices to good uh, use. Uh, and one of them that was proposed by the ATSF Railroad, which owned the Atlantic and Pacific Line, uh, and the California Division of Highways is what was called Operation Carryall. Uh, and what Operation Carryall is, uh, was a proposal to blast out a pass through the Bristol Mountains. Operation Carryall was covered in the January-February 1964 California Highways and Public Works, which was the state's official um, Division of Highways work journal. Uh, and basically, the project was submitted by the ATSF Railroad and the Division of Highways, uh, as stated previously, to blast a pass through the Bristol Mountains. The idea being that it would be a much shorter alignment. Uh, for both the highway and the railroad. Uh, the railroad, if you look at the maps in that volume, and this is in our blog series, stand to gain uh, quite a bit. Um, a pass would allow them to bypass 15 miles of line. Uh, really, there wasn't too much of a difference in the alignment of I-40 uh, that was planned if Operation Carryall was utilized versus what would ultimately be constructed slightly to the north. Um, so as the 70s dawned, Operation Carryall kind of stalled out. Uh, this is kind of like when environmentalism, uh, the Environmental Protection Act, uh, the California Environmental Quality Act were becoming things. So it never was like really officially canceled, but I think pretty much everyone kind of decided this is a waste of time and money. Uh, the railroad never was built across the Bristol Mountains, and it's still pretty much over Ash Hill to Kazee's Summit today, whereas I-40 uh, was constructed through the Bristol Mountains during the 1970s. What's interesting to note is it's just kind of like they were aware, like, there's radiation with these bombs and the nuclear devices. This is going to be a problem for the workers, so they, like, note even, like, what protective equipment they would need to wear. Uh, it's really interesting given that I don't think anybody would really, in a modern context, ever think something like that was a good idea. But really, I think they were trying to find whatever way they could to justify the Atomic Energy Commission, I mean, to put those devices to good use. And that's just something I don't think realistically will ever come to fruition. But I-40, there you go. If you're ever driving through the Bristol Mountains, you can kind of think hey, this might have been uh, done a kind of strange way and for a time was at least proposed for it. Um, one of the corridors, um, historic U.S. routes that I think kind of tends to get underrated personally is that of U.S. Route 91. Uh, you really don't have like a big following for U.S. 91, even though it was a major north-south route. Any U.S. route ending in one on a two-digit was considered a big... A a big deal. It was a major 
corridor. And certainly, given I-15 inherited the majority of that corridor, it's pretty easy to see the importance of it. Um, much of the corridor of US-91 uh, was blazed out by the Arrowhead Auto Trail, which was an auto trail association founded in 1916 by Charles Bigelow uh, between the Salt Lake City and Los Angeles. So you kind of get into the history of some of like these really early Arrowhead Trail alignments, and they're pretty bizarre, or at least they're not really intuitive in the way we would think where we have modern excavation equipment, uh, modern techniques. Really, the Arrowhead Trail got around the Mojave Desert pretty much over the pre-established corridor of the Los Angeles Salt Lake Wagon Road, uh, which was a 19th century immigrant trail uh, or immigrant road. Um, so one area you could find a lot of the old Arrowhead Trail is in Valley of Fire State Park in Nevada in Clark County. So this is Nevada's first state park. It's probably its most well known uh, due to the Red Rock uh, sandstone formations. It's really, really a pretty area. But uh, the Arrowhead Trail was aligned directly through it, the original Arrowhead Trail. Um, and it came through St. Thomas, of all places. And St. Thomas is the town uh, a lot of people know, was, which was flooded over to make way for Lake Mead uh, when the Hoover Dam was being constructed. So the Arrowhead Trail would follow the Virgin River down to St. Thomas and swing westward through um, Valley of Fire State Park, uh, what is now Valley of Fire State Park. And it would kind of angle off towards um, what is now Nellis Air Force Base. So much of... Uh, Las Vegas Boulevard, as people know it now, did, didn't exist back then, and at one point in time, it was just known as Fifth Street. Uh, it was around 1925 when the Arrowhead Trail was realigned from Mesquite on a bypass of uh, the Muddy Mountains and Valley of Fire to Apex Summit, uh, which is more or less what the corridor of I-15, modern Las Vegas Boulevard, if you've ever been north of the city, uh, is now aligned through. Um Valley of Fire State Park actually does maintain a lot of the original Arrowhead Trail as a um, actual trail. It's pretty lengthy. I believe it's like seven miles, and it kind of meanders back and forth across modern Valley of Fire Road. Um, so it's kind of cool to check out. Like most people are up there for the sandstone, and I understand that. I, every time I go up there, usually I'm up for a big old hike. But if, you, if you're in the historic roads that's a pretty cool one to check out because uh the state park service does a really good job documenting uh where the highway was when it was there why it was built there uh so it's kind of cool uh so moving into us 91 uh, like i have already mentioned the realignment of the arrowhead trail from mesquite to apex summit so basically this is kind of putting things in place for modern us 91 to emerge however uh, when the U.S. route system was being developed, the plan route of U.S. 91 was kind of vague uh, because it was kind of in flux. The, the Arrowhead Trail south of Las Vegas followed uh, what was Nevada State Route 5 to the state line through Searchlight. Uh, and basically, U.S. 91 was given a vague definition, like it would end at U.S. Route 60 somewhere in the Mojave Desert. Um, fun fact, US-60 was replaced by US-66 when one of the states got upset that they didn't have a zero route um, going through their state. So that's how US-66 came to be. Uh, the original Arrowhead Trail uh, did 
go through Searchlight towards Bannock um, at, along the Atlantic and Pacific Railroad. So that's quite of a odd jog if you look on a map. Like it's really not convenient. So 1925, the Silver Lake cutoff uh, route of the Arrowhead Trail was constructed, which was aligned towards Daggett. Um, this route saved about 90 miles of travel between Las Vegas and San Bernardino. It, it was substantial. Uh, but it's not also the route that US-91, for the most part, ended up inheriting. It's kind of, to the most part, to the north of it. Uh, and to give you an idea, Baker uh, really is the only town of note, or it's not even really a town, it's a community between Las Vegas and Barstow. Uh, the Silver Lake cutoff was aligned through the Tonopah and Tidewater Railroad siding of Silver Lake, uh, which was on a dry lake of the same name. So it didn't really go through Baker. Uh, how US-91 ended up getting realigned through Baker was during the construction of Legislative Route 31 during the 1920s. Ultimately, the original terminus of US-91 ended up being in Daggett at what is now Daggett-Yermo Road and National Old Trails Road. So National Old Trails Road would be US-66, or was, whereas Daggett-Yermo Road was the original line of US-91. It wasn't until... The Barstow overhead was built over the ATSF line in Barstow via First Avenue that US-91 would be realigned into downtown Barstow. Uh, and, of course, like uh, you, you kind of get into things with um, US-91 in uh, California Mojave Desert. It was multiplex with uh, US-466 beginning in 1933, uh, or at least that's when US-466 was first acknowledged by the AASHO. Um and was extended to Long Beach in uh, 1947. Uh, so that kind of gets into things like later on when I-15 was being completed, uh, it was truncated to Baker, of all places, at California State Route 127. Um, well, US-466 and US-91 were. Uh, and it kind of hung there for a while. Uh, but I'm getting into that a little bit with our next topic, which is former US Route 91 from Beaver Dam, Arizona, to Washington, Utah. So most people, when they're traveling through that corridor, are of course going to take Interstate 15 via the Virgin River Gorge, and, and honestly, it's it's convenient route. It's very direct. It's kind of a direct shot from Beaver Dam to St. George and onwards toward Washington. And, and for that part, it's really really pretty. It's a really scenic canyon route that kind of jumps over the Virgin River a bunch of times. Um, I, I think about the worst thing it has going for it. It's very narrow and kind of inadequate for modern interstate standards. And it's kind of wreck prone. Uh, but it's really scenic. Uh, probably you know, Glenwood Canyon and I-70 or the San Rafael Swell are, are probably really the only other segments of the interstate system that can compete with it. But the former corridor of U.S. Route 91 um, from Beaver Dam to St. George and to Washington it, it is really scenic in its own right. Um from Beaver Dam, uh, US-91 would have kind of jogged northward from Mojave County, Arizona into Washington County over the Beaver Dam Mountains where it would have, I don't even think this has this pass has a name, but it ascends to a pass of about 4,500 feet before it descends down to the Santa Clara River in the Shivwitz Reservation. So what's really cool about uh, this old segment of US route is you get a really pretty view of like uh, kind of the red 
rim of Snow Canyon. And I, I would argue that it's actually just as pretty, if not more so, than the Virgin River Gorge. It's certainly got a lot more color to it. Uh, from there, uh, the corridor of US-91 within St. George, um, the last one was carried by Utah 18 and Utah 34. It kind of bounced around a little bit like Diagonal Street, Main Street, Tabernacle, uh, before kind of that modern corridor, which you see now on Bluff Street, uh, Utah 18, and St. George Boulevard, Utah 34, emerged. Um, the Arrowhead Trail between St. George and Washington had to take this weird hillside alignment to get between the two communities. It's pretty mountainous between the two, even though they're fairly close together. They're like right next door. Uh, but this was bypassed in 1927 when the uh, Bigelow Tunnel, uh, named after Charles Bigelow, the Arrowhead Trail, uh, was constructed, uh, which really shortened the time. Uh, so you can still find the Bigelow Tunnel out there uh, between St. George and Washington. It's used actually as a storage facility. But it's not like anyone's really hiding it from view. Like there's numerous places that you can see it from, like at the end of Industrial Drive, uh, kind of where, you know, Middleton Drive kind of dead ends and becomes an abandoned road, given that's the old segment of US-91. Uh, the northern portal in particular is a very easy sp place to spot it, and I use it as a cover for our blog uh, regarding former US-91 um, between Beaver Dam and Washington. Uh, very cool area. It was bypassed in 1953 by a excavated cut uh, between St. George and Washington, uh, which is now basically what we know as I-15. Uh, so kind of from there, the, the Bigelow Tunnel kind of languished on and it, be it became a storage facility. Kind of a odd end for the tunnel, considering it's just literally sitting right there. What's neat about it, I think, is it's carved out of sandstone or carved into a sandstone formation. So whatever aggregates they were using, like in the concrete, have a red hue to them. So it's kind of unique. You usually don't see things like that. I don't even think like the Mount Carmel Tunnel really has that kind of same vibe to it. I think that was more of a bore, uh, just a simple bore compared to the Bigelow Tunnel. Um, anyways, so... The Virgin River Gorge, tracking back to that, US-91 stayed um, commissioned for so long is because the Virgin River Gorge was so difficult to construct. It was not actually completed until late 1973, uh, which functionally made I-15 complete. Uh, so you kind of needed that U.S. route, uh, U.S. 91, to kind of bridge the gap. Uh, I don't know why it would continue all the way into Baker, you know, California State Route 127, but, but it did. Um, once the Virgin River Gorge segment of I-15 was complete, uh, that is when you saw all the states involved, uh, California, Nevada, Arizona, Utah, to get US-91 uh, truncated to Brigham City, Utah. So that was kind of the big uh, push to truncate US-91 down the size. Uh, kind of was the last vestige of the old Arrowhead Trail that was out there was when it was bypassed by the Virgin River Gorge. Uh, tracking back to Interstate 15 in California, uh, exit 239 um, is notable in the road community or pretty much anyone really traveling towards Las Vegas for what is spelled ZZYZX Road. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. Uh, so 
how said road uh, got its name, it connects to a small abandoned or what was an abandoned railroad siding, which was purchased by Curtis Springer in the mid-1940s. Um, Soda Spring was a siding of the Tonopah Tidewater Railroad, and if you go further back in time, it was actually um, a watering station on the Mojave Road. But uh, kind of before I get into all that, Curtis Springer, um, he set up mining claims over this former Soda Springs Railroad sidings and basically sold like mineral spring water, like claiming it had medicinal purposes. And he got in all sorts of trouble with the Bureau of Land Management. Uh, and I believe he actually did some jail time too. But his resort, uh, which is named ZZYZX, it is down there. It's basically built off the old railroad siding of Soda Springs. It's used by Cal State as a research center right now, and you, you can follow the road four miles from I-15 and, and go visit it because it's part of the Mojave National Preserve now. Um, but as much as that story is well known, I, I think it kind of gets dismissed how important uh, Soda Springs was for early transportation through the Mojave Desert in California. It was also a watering hole on the Mojave Trail, which was used by the Paiutes uh, when they were traveling through the desert. Uh, the Mojave Trail during the late 1850s got built up into the wagon road known as the Mojave Road. So the Mojave Road uh, connected from Fort Mojave in what is now Arizona uh, to kind of inland California. It, it picked up the Los Angeles Salt Lake Road and continued onwards towards Cajon Pass or Fort Tejone Pass, uh, which is where I-5 is now and where the old ridge route was. Uh, it was mainly, all this stuff was spearheaded by General Beale, so like Beale's Wagon Road, if you've ever heard the story of that. It wasn't just one wagon road, it was quite a bit of them. Uh, so Soda Spring, being a watering, watering spot and through the Mojave Desert, uh, was garrisoned for a time. Uh, it was Camp Soda Springs, so that was really one of the first major settlements uh, that was located on the site, uh, and obviously for as a water source. Soda Spring, uh, for context, is located on the shore of what is known as Soda Lake, which has historically been known as the Sink of the Mojave. So basically, this is where the Mojave River empties in to a big basin, uh, which just doesn't get enough water in our current climate and times uh, to form a real lake. It's mostly dry. And from there, uh, you have all sorts of washes and creeks that continue north through Baker towards Silver Lake. Uh, so late 19th century, having reliable sources of water was hugely important. Uh, so again, this, this was all bypassed when the Atlantic and Pacific Railroad was constructed uh, in the 1880s. And that's kind of how you get the corridor of the National Old Trails Road in US 66. Um from there, Soda Springs didn't really have much prominence until the Tonopah and Tidewater Railroad was constructed in the early 19th century. Uh, Tonopah and Tidewater was supposed to start or originate from uh, Las Vegas and head towards like Death Valley Junction, which is on California State Route 127, up towards like the uh, Tonopah Mining District, Goldfield, uh, the Bullfrog Mining District in Nevada. So um, when that all fell through, uh, the line actually originated from Ludlow, the Atlantic and Pacific, and one of the first sightings was Soda Springs. So you kind of circle back, the Tonopah Tidewater, uh, their big whole thing was hauling borax, which is a salt product from the deserts, uh, and really their whole 
operation was kind of killed by two things. Uh, one, the decline of mining in Nevada, uh, but secondly, Death Valley National Monument pretty much made it impossible to extract borax from Death Valley, uh, given that it had some enhanced protections. So this led to the ultimate decline of the Tonopah and Tidewater Railroad, which led to the uh, siding of Soda Springs being pretty much up for sale, and that's how you get Curtis Springer involved. But um, I, I think that's kind of interesting that that little tiny place has had so much significance. Historically, it really doesn't get looked at too much. Like, I know a lot of OHV people I've run into know the importance of Soda Springs. Um, I, I've been on the Mojave Road a couple times um, with some OHV people and friends over the years. It, it's quite an experience. Like, I wouldn't say it's anywhere as haggard as people think it probably is. It, it was a maintained uh, wagon road, and it's still fairly decently maintained by the Park Service. Like, pretty much most four-wheel drive, high-clearance vehicles can handle it no problem. Um, but, yeah, Mojave Desert. Yeah, there's... I'm just really honestly tip, hitting the tip of the iceberg with, with this topic. Um... We have done so much on this region over the years that, like, if I was trying to sit here kind of going through everything that we have in the blog series, this would probably go well over two hours. So, so maybe I'll hit on this topic again at some point if people want me to. I really enjoy the region. Um, since the deserts are kind of acquired taste, uh, this is the really big one, I think, as far as like important road corridors and interesting context uh, for our highway systems. So, yeah, uh, fun stuff. Anyways, I've been Tom with the Gribble Nation broadcast. I uh, hope you enjoyed listening to this. Hope you have a great rest of your day or great whatever you're doing right now when you're listening to this. See you.